Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. This episode is going to feature Edmund Burke. He was a famous orator of British Parliament in the mid-1700s. He was a philosopher, a statesman, a journalist, and a writer. He was a member of the Whig Party. He was a conservative. He was a traditionalist. He believed that innovations were not manifested by single individuals, but rather that they were a slow growth of the collective mind. He was in opposition of the French Revolution on the grounds that it manifested a break from the past and it challenged true wisdom and experience and was a threat to liberty and prosperity. He believed in traditional institutions such as the church. He believed that the revolution against it was destroying the fabric of a good society and that these traditional institutions were good for the stability of the moral foundations of all people within it. He's widely considered one of the founders of modern conservatism. I'm going to run over and expedite his short essay on public discontents. He states very simply in the beginning of the essay, quote, If he should be obliged to blame favorites of the people, he will be considered as the tool for power. If he censors those in power, he will be looked at as an instrument of faction. In essence, that there is a, a duality when you are in opposition to some state of affairs. Quote, the people being those without power more of a liberal stance, a multitude, rather than a magistrate or an oligarchy or an aristocracy of some sort. That if you look at the aristocracy and censor their speech or the way in which they do things or what they say or twist anything around politically as a sort of power move, that that will be looked at as, oh, it's a faction. It's something violent against us. We have something to lose with this being said. This is a hit against our party. And so too, when you are blaming certain people or people among the masses, then, oh, you're just a tool for that aristocracy, man. <laughs> it's um, dividing that the sense of ourselves will always be a sort of division, a fragmentation. And what's more frustrating than not being heard? What's more discontenting than having your neighbors not really listen to what you're saying, even though it's something apparently very important to you? And I think he goes over why there is this struggle. He mentions that there is no way in which one individual is going to get to the very truth and heart of the matter, that people will consider you weak and visionary. If you have a real sense of what the consequence of the situation is and what really happens and who's really to blame, because of course with these sort of public discontentions when there's some sort of conflict between different powers or there's an outrage of some sort but everyone has an opinion on it and none of it is the same, there's an ambiguity and there's a call to question as well who's to blame, like we gotta find somebody to blame. and. Of course, you're going to want to protect those that of great consequence will not want to be blamed, of course, that you'll want to come up with a storied voice in order to protect power wherever it's coming from. He says that private individuals will start to be compelled to remove the causes of calamity because, of course, yeah, we don't want injustice. We want to resolve problems in a fair way, and we don't want these bad things to happen to the wrong people. Despite a resolution to, to the rulers, maybe you have a solidarity to a state or to the powers, it may be at their great displeasure or dis-ease, but in essence there are certain people in certain times and certain issues that will go against their own solidarities on behalf of their own will. 
because some people align with certain things at some times but don't really know what's good for them so of course they're going to contradict themselves at some point he mentions that it's a role of the government to conciliate their affections of the people and to pander to them in order to allow the rulers and governments to retain their reputation so that the multitude and the magistrate the people ruling and those ruled will have their own reputation that there will there will be a sort of balance and dissemination of of these ugly things that define the time or define the structure of the society that'll in essence get swept under the rug and i think governments or people that influence and inform opinion statesmen have to know the effects of the people so they're acting very accommodating yet they retain their image even though that image basically represents the sort of injustice and outrageous sort of structures that cause these issues and these turmoils and conflicts to arise in the first place but it is to hide and create an ethos of no we we have a good reputation see we're good people we take care of you we value the right things and there will always be a sort of sidelining of main issues in order to get enough people to re to uh, retain the reputation that is necessary so that the image of what you're looking at the power structure is maintained and i think in political science it's mostly about how to retain my reputation how to stay looking good to the right amount of people he mentions that individual people are an expression of the greater organization, that their reputation is valued for themselves just as much as the structure and organization of policy and law is to the state. That force and violence, that part of the puzzle, that's just an instrumentality in order to react to events, in order to keep things from spiraling out of hand. No signaling of truth or justice available, just the means to act needs to take place and of course it will go in congruity with the state because that's what's been agreed upon by the multitude. There's a sort of temperament that the multitude will have and that as a statesman he says that it's their job to be able to manage that affect, to learn the attitudes of the people in order to control and manage it, that that's their duty. He says that in government there's a scuffle between the magistrate and the multitude. And we've seen a, a lot of that in the recent years that people have come up with all different kinds of ways to start looking at certain events. There's many attitudes concerning state force, state violence, the police. George Floyd is a popular example. Now I don't know if that was set about just to get people fumed and divided. I'm sure it probably was. But there's lots of different instances where we see blatant injustice or a use of power that causes turmoil and there's nothing done about it and we see where the power lies and we see how justice operates in an unjust way. Now in Vietnam, there wasn't a lot of people really asking the question, well, what actually are, are we fighting? What is it that we are actually fighting? And how do we address one side coming over and saying, I'm right? And then another side, of course, saying, well, I think I'm right. I have just enough right as you. But no one sees it that way in that dynamic. But no one really asks that question. You're just getting drafted up and getting shown a bunch of images of we need to go to the war to stop this, that, and the other thing. But we don't ever see any utterance of we need to stop 
this force that's coming after us because of X, Y, or Z, we don't get that affection, that, that sort of multitude. If you're not a part of, you're not a part of. And if you don't hear it, you don't hear it. And if you're not distributed that affect readily, then you don't have that affect. Then a part of your reality is not intertwined within that or whatever pieces of knowledge necessary in order to understand certain events in a specific way, then you will not understand that event in that way. And you'll be able to be injected with a different affect. There's so many people that say, well, you shouldn't have been resisting arrest. Well, maybe there's a reason why you would resist. Maybe there's a fair cause or there's a deep drive within us that would want to resist something. Or maybe you don't resist and there's all sorts of events where there's no resistance, but there's still indignities. But the, the first affection is, well, what was he doing? Sometimes nothing. And sometimes they were doing something, but also why, you know, but also why would it warrants, warrant such behavior on the part of the state? It's just a matter of how you've been taught to feel about certain kinds of powers within a society. I always hear people complain about how much they're getting paid or what this uh, manager said or what they have to do despite other people not doing what they have to. And there's, there's all these different divisions and stories and it's a power play. And usually people are talking about those that control things, that control wealth or control what goes on or who gives the orders. The way in which we relate to our equals and our superiors and those below us, everything. I think it's a very insecure shell game that people like to play. If you're friends with X, Y, or Z, therefore they didn't really perform an act worthy of being lamented about or being confronted over. That some people turn a blind eye to blatant things that are going on. Just the attitude of people taking it to the streets and protesting. There's a lot of people that do not like the fact that people are discontented with the way things are. You know, establishment people, constitutionalists, people that like how things are and think that that is exactly how they should be. Well, I think there's some people that come from a different angle. You know, people are approaching it differently. Some people think minimum wage is, is just alright, and that you make your way in life and eventually you make enough. Well, there's other people that will argue, well, if I wasn't linked up with a, a spouse that made quite a bit of money, I wouldn't be able to have been able to take care of my kids, have been able to put them through X, Y, or Z, would not have good health care, would not have my car payments paid and wouldn't be able to establish any sort of savings at all. It's a situationalist sort of agenda that people find themselves in different ways. That if there was one condition that was different that didn't happen, their whole idea on the way things are would affect them differently because they'd be facing different issues. Now, this is just me kind of rambling on about why, you know, there's a separation between understanding genuine issues that people do not uptake as genuine issues, that the locution of what they're saying, the force of what the content of their words mean and how that's supposed to make you feel and what the affect is supposed to be doesn't hit the same way. Well, usually because the content's all mixed up because they've been told different things by people that aren't in that situation. Burke says that there will always be murmurs with people concerning power and those with prestige and position, that the multitudes will always be talking about the magistrate, that they will lament about things of the past, and that they will hope for other things in the future. 
This is just in all times human nature. He says, quote, we are to distinguish this generality of human nature from symptoms of particular distemperature of our own air and season. So it's the sagacity of a statesman, he says, is to do this, to know what human nature is and to confront all these affects and attitudes and know what it is, but also separate it from your own error or your own mentality and what you want, what you think, what you think is best, what you're putting forward and season, which would be what you're also trying to protect, right or wrong. And I think being a politician comes with not being honest, not being honest with how it is in order to preserve how things are and how things are, are generally unjust. I mean, just attending school, everyone's been through this sort of thing where the teacher doesn't believe you or someone lied about something. And then now the multitude is against you in some respects. And you have this political thing and none of it's real. None of it's truly honest about the state of affairs, unless you're truly visionary about what's happening, but anyone's voice can be uptaken as true if you're a firm liar, or if you understand how to get away with something. And I guess it's human nature to have a dual nature, to have a good side and a bad side. And maybe we recognize that. And I think also maybe, in my opinion, the the stability of a society is good, but of course, stable on what grounds? That if they cannot be shaken free or bent a little bit, if the structure is so rigid, of course you'll be falling outside of the lines and there will be your perceived injustice in perspective of the law and the society. But on the other side of that, maybe there's another vision there and that maybe the treatment is wrong going that way, away from the law, versus going the other way towards the law. That we are breaking codes of conduct based Based on what your affections are and why. In one way it's disagreeable and disrespectful, and in another way they have something disagreeable and disrespectful inflicted upon them by the very hands that are telling them they're disrespectful and breaking laws. We can see this sometimes. I think there are communities that are quite against other communities for that very reason, that the thing that they're lamenting about and have a problem with, the other side of that is having the same sort of issue but they can't see that they both view themselves in the same way and that maybe there's something to say about that dualism. That's just what I'm saying. Maybe there's non-duality in all this. That's kind of my point of view. That maybe we should help each other a little bit more. That maybe the structures are basically okay, but it's just the kinds of people that, that are within them are not interpretable enough. Because I think structure should, should, should occur. Conservatism is probably a pretty good thing for people to have. But so is the liberalism in that we should probably not view them so rigidly or dualistic all the time and try to bring them around on each other and come to terms with this kind of stuff because otherwise we'll be at each other's throat and there's going to be a lot of war. I think the defense for a lot of this confusion or interpretability and who's figuring out who's culpable is just to disarm the whole situation and not concern yourself with all these opinions like Burke said. Just deal with the affects of people and try to disarm it while preserving the state. It's disingenuous, but I guess it pushes everything onward. Otherwise, it's going to be a great big struggle. And we know that power is power because it has gotten there for a reason and these structures are in place because without structure it's hard to account for anything. So we can never really admit to the truth, but we can also pander to an end of sympathy, maybe a dual sympathy, in order to preserve reputation and not create outrage, but also keep the things in place that both preserve outrage 
and protect those that are outraged. I guess it's just free discourse. I mean, this was uh, pre-American independence, but I think Burke was kind of onto something with that, even though he was basically counter-revolutionary. I guess once you reach a certain point in your career, politically or in journalism or philosophy, you sort of pick a side, but you're not really attached to anyone. You just really, I guess you want to join the side that's winning because you don't want to feel too bad about where you're at and you don't want to feel too sorry for yourself or anything. But I think Burke also um, truly was uh, a man of power that wanted to preserve the hierarchical state even though maybe he saw that, yeah, that's usually where the discontents are being generated from. Because most of what's discontented are the many. How can you really avoid that? Being unconcerned with opinions, that they're just mere opinions, like they're illusions. They're being presented as like these non-realities. It's just so strange because maybe that is a lot of the issue that there's really it's more complex and hard to describe and discern upon than we could really imagine maybe social problems just can be boiled down to a singular individuality that somehow we can't see and we can't account for in our perceptions gosh i i don't know whatever it is i just want to view it, the the tragic comedy or the comedy tragic is more more of a comedy and try to keep it at that and not try to be too serious about things that don't directly affect me. And I know that's rationalizing, but it's really hard to become a part of something that's so saturated in seriousness. And that maybe there's a sort of forgiving that I could do generally in order to keep myself sane. And also just kind of be the, um, the better agent. Because Lord knows that... I've gotten to the very fabric and, and truth about what's happening with things, but there's just no way to flesh it out in words that you're going to be considered, if you have a solution, way too ideal. I think humans by nature would rather have war than peace. Maybe that's uh, a part of this whole dynamic that maybe we could reflect on. Do humans, would they rather have war than peace? Is that the affect of personhood? I'll leave you with that. Hopefully it's not too troubling. At any rate, um, I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.